I'm going to ask you maybe to step outside of your comfort zone here a little bit in the next three weeks and pray some prayers. I want these to become prayers that you pray every morning when you get up. Now, today we're going to talk about one that we have talked about before, that in fact we've used in a sermon series on necessary sins. But I thought, man, we want to come back and take a deeper look at that and see really what we can do to expand that and really grab a hold of that prayer and let it be uh, part of our lives. Now, most of the times when we pray, I think that we are pretty safe prayers, don't you think? We pray, pray safe prayers. One of the ones is we pray real generally. I want you to learn to pray specifically. You know, ask for certain things, you know, and see if that's what God wants. And then when, it's, when you believe that's what God wants, I want you to continue to pray that with persistence so that God will, will respond and answer that prayer. But I think we pray safe prayers. I think that we do the easy, the benign, uh, and, and kind of the expected prayers. When somebody calls on you to pray, maybe you say, okay, well, I got to do something that's going to be pleasing and something that's going to be kind of well-received and stuff. Uh, but I want you to know that we need to pray some dangerous prayers in a good way, okay? Not dangerous prayers recklessly, but dangerous prayers that will cause God to make some changes within us so that we can be more effective in the things he gives us to do, okay? Uh, So how do we pray? We pray those generic prayers, the safe, the predictable. Uh, Here's one, be with me, Lord, now, you know, whenever I hear somebody pray that, I, I wonder what they believe about God. You know, I believe that God is omnipresent, okay? And if God is omnipresent, is he not with you? A lot of times what we think of it, he's nearby, he's around us, but I want him to be on my side. You know, and that's what we sometimes pray when we're praying, you know, uh, be with me, you know, be on my side, you know, and, and as I engage people, be on my side. And I think that what God really wants from us is for us. And it would be much better prayer than to say, be on my side. Lord, help me know what you are and help me align with tos in line with what your want tos are and what a powerful force that could be. So we pray these benign prayers like, like help me, be with me, uh, keep me safe. You know, keep me safe. I want you to look in the Bible this next week, and if you have a concordance, look up that word safe. And I want you to find several verses of Scripture where God says, don't be courageous, be safe. Okay, don't be courageous, be safe. I think what you'll find is the exact opposite. He never calls you to be safe. He calls you to be courageous. And so when we say, Lord, keep me safe, what that usually means is be happy with me doing nothing. You know, be happy with me doing nothing because I feel safe in my house. I feel safe in my, with my family. Don't let me get outside of that. I want that comfortability. So, Lord, help me be safe. A lot of times we pray, uh, bless me. You know, bless me. Have you ever done a, a study on what blessing is? Blessing is when God gives you something that will achieve his goals. He gives you something that will achieve his goals. A lot of times when we say, Lord, bless me, we mean give me more money, okay? Give me a better house, give me a better job, give me more comfort, give me more safety, you know, give me, give me stuff, and I know you're blessing me. Well, that's not what God's about. God's not about your comfort. He is about your holiness, and he will give you things that will create greater holiness in you so that you can be a better example of a follower of Jesus Christ. So there you have it. 
bless me. Lord, um, keep me safe all the time. And those are just safe prayers. Uh, how many of you have ever prayed before you ever go out on a trip? Lord, give me traveling mercies. You know, I love it. Now, my grandmother used to pray that. Traveling mercies. Now, some of you people have no clue what that is. What it means is, help keep me safe. Don't let me crash. Don't let anybody crash into me. Don't let anybody hurt me. Don't let me, you know, and traveling mercies too means cut out the traffic. Help me get green lights all the time. That's merciful. Lord, help me do all that stuff because after all, I'm pretty important, you know. And so therefore, you know, we pray these safe prayers. But this next few weeks, we're going to pray, we're going to learn to pray three prayers, okay? I want you not to pray them if you don't mean them. Okay, I'm giving you permission not to pray these prayers. Because if you don't mean them, don't pray them. I believe that God answers what you ask for. And so today we're going to be talking about search me, and we're going to go into great detail about that. Next week, we're going to pray probably the most dangerous prayer, and it's the dangerous prayer of break me. Help me get outside of what I want and get inside of what you want. Break me. Okay? The third week, we're going to talk another dangerous prayer, send me. Okay? Let me get on your agenda, God, rather than you get on my agenda. Send me. Make, as I go about my day, send me with purpose. Help me to achieve a goal. Help me to achieve a goal of representing you. So we're going to talk about that in the third week. Now, these are all challenging to pray. Okay? It's going to be a challenge for you to pray these things and truly mean them. But I believe that it's going to be the catalyst for a serious life change. Have you ever been taught some things and all of a sudden you come, it's like the the light comes on. You know, I hope that one of these next few messages is one of those experiences for you. All of a sudden, the light comes on and you, your spiritual life takes a different trajectory. It becomes more important to you and it takes you someplace where you never thought you would go. I hope that one of these next few messages are like that. I remember when I first understood the sovereignty of God. That was a life-changing experience for me. It was life-changing because it helped me of very much stuff. You know, I'm not in charge of very much stuff. And the things I am in charge of are pretty minuscule. You know, my desires, I'm in charge of those things. My obedience to God, I'm in charge of those things. But I believe that when I understood the sovereignty of God, that he can do anything he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants, I realized, man, I can rest. I can have a little bit of peace. I don't have to be the master of the universe anymore. You know, the sun's going to come up without me telling it. The moon's going to rise. You know, the seasons are going to change. And I don't have to do anything. You know, when I realized that, and, and a lot of the circumstances of life that we see are really the sovereignty of God, bringing things to bear on us to cause us to take note of ourselves and to make some changes in our lives. So the sovereignty of God for me was, I, was what I hope happens with you in the next few weeks. Now, these are going to be challenging to, challenging to pray. Now, we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture like I said. We talked about before, it's found in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Now, to set this in context, it's a prayer that David prayed when he was facing some severe opposition. Okay? He was uh, being persecuted by his enemies, and the persecution came in the form that they claimed that David was not faithful. He was a loser. Okay? Have you ever had any enemies like that, you know, calling you a loser, saying you're not worth it, saying that you can't do it, saying that whatever, you know, and it just kind of beats you down? Well, David, he, he, he was being beaten down. Now, most of us faced with that situation, we would become what? Defensive. Oh, no, I'm not. You can't say that about me. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, no, I'm not. David took a different tack. 
And he asked God, is there some truth to what these guys are saying? Now notice how he says it in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. He says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Now, do you think David knew his heart? Now, let me ask you, do you know your heart? Yeah, we would say, and do you have a good heart? Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, nobody wants to say, yeah, I have a good heart, because that'd be bragging, huh? How many of you have a good heart? Gotcha. Okay. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Circle those words, anxious thoughts. You know what anxious thoughts are? They are your fears. Things that cause you to be a little anxious. Things that cause you to be like, I don't know what's going to happen here, but... Okay, anxious thoughts. See me if there's any offensive way in me. Okay, circle that word, those two words, offensive way. You know what that is? That's sin. Okay, see if there's anything I do, God, that is offensive to you. And then finally, he says this. He says, and lead me in the way everlasting. There is a way that is, that is everlasting. It's the right way all the time. Okay? It doesn't change with the political climate. It doesn't change with our culture. It's something that is static, that is the right way all the time. And that's what David asks for. So let's take a look at these four things. We're going to do the search me. We're going to do know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Four things that David prays here that I want you to pray every day this next week. Number one, he says what? Start. Asking God to do this. Now, if it's us and we're asking God to search our heart, what we're saying is, come to the same conclusion I do, God, because I have a good heart. I want the best. I want what's good for everybody. You know, I've got a pretty good heart. And David simply says, search me, God, and know my heart. Now, what is it about your heart that David would say, hmm, that's why we need to have it searched? Well, take a look at Jeremiah 17.9. For those of you who have good hearts, the heart is what? The most it lies to you. It lies to you. Okay. Now, some of the most often said lies are what? The ones we tell ourselves. Okay. Don't you think, you know, I, I, I used, you know, I'm a competitive driver. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you here in a minute. Okay. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. What does the heart want? A heart wants what the heart wants. Uh-huh. The heart is what? It is selfish. It's selfish. Okay, the heart is desperately wicked. And here, who really knows how bad it is? We certainly don't. You know, when I see some people do stuff, you know, do strange things, people on the road, you know, when they're driving crazy. You know, I drive all day long. I see crazy people driving on the road. Here's what I conclude. I know why they're doing that. Because they think they're the most important person in the world. And it's more important for them to get to their destination than for me to get to my destination. Right? That's what, okay, now, when I'm doing that, you know, it's a whole different thing, you know. I'm just being competitive, you know, i just having fun, I'm just whatever, you know. Now, what do we do with other people when they do something wrong? We accuse them, and what do we do when we do stuff wrong? We excuse it, okay, accuse others, excuse ourselves. Our heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know its ways, right? So if I don't know why somebody, if I know why somebody else is doing it, 
And I think I know why I'm doing it. The truth is I don't. I don't know why you guys do what you do. I, I, you know, I, I'd like to say, yeah, they're doing that, just a, da, 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 whatever, make up a, a reason. But then when I do it, it's an excuse. Oh, well, I was just trying to do good, but, you know, I failed. Now, let's, let's, let's come to an agreement. How many of you have ever lied? Raise your hand. Be bold. Be courageous. Okay, look around. Look around. Keep your hands up. Okay, look around. Anybody? <laughs> now everybody gets their hands up. Look around. Anybody got a hand down? I want you to point. No, don't do that. Okay? We all tell lies. The most often told lie is to ourselves, like I said. You know, we make excuses for what we do wrong. How many of you ever said, oh, I don't eat that much? Man, I tell you, I always, I always say that. I always say that when I, when I come away from the table just stuffed. I didn't, boy, what a surprise. I didn't eat that much. I wonder why I'm feeling this way. Oh, it must be that my stomach is shrinking. Yeah, I'm losing so much weight. My stomach's shrinking. When I eat a little bit, boy, I feel really full. I didn't eat that much. Okay. I'm not materialistic. Okay. I just enjoy nice things. Okay. I want a dependable car. And the most dependable car is an expensive car. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. I don't have anger problem. Okay. I don't have an I don't have an anger problem. Okay? You hear me? Now don't accuse me of that ever again. Don't judge me. Oh yeah, sometimes we have anger problems. Okay. I'm not a gossip. I just tell people stuff so they can pray. And I assume when I tell them that they have that automatically in their arsenal and they're going to pray for what I tell them about. Yeah, okay, I don't, I don't do that. I'm not critical. I'm just surrounded by a bunch of idiots. You know? I don't know. You know, we say stuff like that. Okay, uh, I don't lust. I just enjoy a nice physique. I used to have a friend that tell me, you know, it's okay, it's okay to look. You just can't touch. I thought, really? Jesus didn't say that. He said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, man, it's like you've committed adultery with her already. And he would go, uh, okay, here we go. Okay, so we tell ourselves lies, don't we? I remember when I was in high school, I used to play hockey, hard to believe, but I used to play hockey uh, in Anaheim. We had this rink there. Uh, it was called Glacier Valley. And uh, we would go there to, to, oh, no, Glacier Falls, I'm sorry. And we'd go there and we'd skate, you know, to practice our skills and hone our skills. And then after the session was over, uh, they would clear it out. We'd set up our goals and we'd play hockey, you know, like about midnight. And so we'd play hockey and, and stuff. And I remember we were standing out front one time, and I'm in high school, and we're standing out front waiting to get into the public session. We'd skate and then play hockey after. And so we were waiting to, pl- to skate in the public session. And these people from this church came And they're just going down the line, asking people, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And I'm just sweating because I do, but I'm not living like it. I'm starting to sweat. And I just, I I had to go to the bathroom because they got closer to me. But there was no bathroom to go to. I was really looking just to hide because they were about to ask me, do you know Jesus? And I was going to go, and I'm with all my friends, all my hockey buddies. And so uh, luckily, you know, for me, Unfortunately, actually, uh, just before they got to our spot in the line, they opened the booth and everybody started paying for their, man, I'm digging in my pocket, just acting, you know, like I'm getting my money and, and, you know, and we got by. But God used that in my life to say, you know what, you're a fake. You are a big fat fake. And I remember in high school thinking, you know, I am. I'm really a fake. I, I claim to know Christ, but I don't, 
live like it. You know, I don't talk like it. I don't act like it. None of, if my buddies on, that were playing hockey with me, you know, they, hey, is Mike a Christian? <laughs> no. You know, I didn't live like it. And so I remember that being a, a, a real critical part of my, my spiritual formation. I realized I was a fake. I was claiming to know Christ but not living like him. So God used that to search heart. Search my heart. And as David asks that, he says, search my heart. And the second thing that he asks God to do is to reveal my fears. Reveal my fears. In verse 23, it goes on. Search my heart. Uh, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Now, when we pray this prayer, what we're giving God the opportunity to do to test us. Okay? He's going to put us in a situation where we, are, where we have a fear. That's what testing is all about. Putting you in a situation that reveals what's inside of you. And so if he's testing for fear, what's he going to do? He's going to put you in a situation. When I talk about this, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you, what makes you most anxious and what are you afraid of? Makes and spiders and that guy that's in the dark bathroom behind the screen. Okay, I'm not talking about that stuff. What I'm talking about Things that genuinely cause you anxiety over a period of time. Like maybe you're in a situation you say, man, I don't think I'm ever going to get married. I'm never going to get married. And whatever. God's going to put you in a situation where you get to test that fear. Okay. Now what we'd like to do is we'd like to say, Lord, bless me in this fear. And that what that means is bring someone to me, Lord. Let me get married. Let me find that soulmate that you have for me. Uh, but really... What I want you to do before you get to that point is be content with being single. Being content with what God has provided for you right now so that you can then be provided what God wants for you. That shows your trust in God's sovereignty. Being content with where you are right now. Now, I'm not saying that you want to stay there forever, but I'm saying, God, I'm content with where I am right now. If you bring me a spouse, that would be awesome. But if not, I'm content where I am right now. Okay, maybe that's your fear. Maybe you're, you're, maybe you're stuck in a bad marriage, and that's your fear, okay? Or maybe you're fearful of getting stuck in a bad marriage, okay? And maybe you're in a bad marriage, and you're fearful that it's never going to end. Maybe that's your fear. I don't have any significant relationships, and I'm just burning out. I'm just having, I'm having trouble. So maybe that's your fear. Maybe you have a fear of rejection, okay? Fear of rejection is big in our world today because we have such, such tenuous relationship connections, the fear of rejection becomes very, very high, okay? Some people have the fear of failure. Anybody here ever feared failure? Yeah, that's one of mine. That's one of mine. I fear failure. And, and when we started this church, I had a tremendous fear. Uh, I remember that first th Sunday, we had 13, 15 people. And I thought, and before we even opened the doors, my fear was, what if nobody shows up? What if Bill and Francis don't show up? Dean and Nancy don't show up? What if, oh man, what if, I, what if I get there and you know you have these weird nightmare kind of thoughts and you, what if I get there and I'm all alone and I can't get the doors open? And I thought, well, if nobody shows up, it doesn't matter if the doors open or not. And so I was at peace. You know? but, but I have these fears of failure. Some people have fear of success. You know, what if I really do achieve? And then there, there's an expectation on me that now I'm successful. There's expectation that things are going to go get better and get better and better and better. And then I'm going to have to perform. Uh, so I have this fear of success. Some people have a, uh, a fear of intimacy, revealing myself to someone else. Every one of us is born with that kind of fear, and it's in our sin nature. 
Adam and Eve, what did they do when they sinned in the Garden of Eden? They went and made uh, coverings out of fig leaves. You know, every one of us has fig leaves in our lives. We have things that keep people out and disguise our fears and disguise our failures and disguise all our stuff that we wear. You know, if you're scared to death when you get up to speak in front of a crowd, what do you do? You smile and you act like you're all happy to be there because you don't want people to know that you're afraid. You know, I don't know. We have these fig leaves. Now, another, another fear uh, that a lot of people have is a fear of the unknown. Yeah, I used, when I was a kid, I was fearful of the unknown. What happens tomorrow? You know, what happens tomorrow? And I, I, I rem, I've told you before, but we lived in the flight path of Los Alamitos Naval Air Station during the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, during the Cold War. And I remember thinking that every time one of those planes was going to fly over, they were going to drop an atomic bomb right on my house. I was fearful of the unknown. What if that's the one? What if that's the one? Man, I didn't get any sleep for four years. So... So we're fearful of the unknown. We're also fearful of loss. You know, what if I lose my family? What if I lose my family? You know, and I don't know if you've ever had those kind of waning thoughts in your mind as you go to bed at night. Um, but every now and then I'll, I'll think about that. What if I lost Cindy? What if I lost Zoe? What if I lost Jenny, Jared, you know, Sarah, uh, Dave? What if I lost my family? What would I do? You know, you guys would have to take me in. Okay, <laughs> now that we have that settled. We have these fears. Now, what is it that fear reveals to us? If you're taking notes, there's a place to fill this in. What I fear most reveals where I trust God least. What I fear most reveals where I trust God least. Let's take a look at some of these things. What if we fear losing our marriage? We don't trust God in our marriage. And maybe we're not following God in our marriage, you know? We, we've left God out of that thing, and we've left our faith, we've left our, 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 our dependence on God out of that. So if we lo- fear losing our marriage, well, maybe we're not trusting God with that. Now, what happens if something happens to one of my children? You know, and this is a big one, I think, for moms and dads of young children. You know, we feel like we have to shape them and mold them, and on our kids' part is a reflection on me as a parent, and we get all wigged out about this, and pretty soon we're driving ourselves crazy. And I have a friend, uh, had a friend, uh, who used to make her kids when they started driving. Your kids start driving. It's a whole new ball game of fear and apprehension then. Whenever they would get in the car, she would, they would have to call her and say, okay, I'm in the car. I'm on my way to wherever. Whenever they got there, they would have to call and say, I'm there. Okay, good. And when I, they got ready to come home, they would have to call and say, I'm on my way home. And then when they would get home, if it was after the mom and dad went to bed, they would have to knock on their door. And I thought, ay, 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 you know, I remember my, my, you know, and so we have this thing of, of fear of, of bad things happening to people we love. Uh, I remember when I was a pastor of another church and, and we had an office and whenever the secretary or the receptionist was there by herself, it was in a section of town where she felt necessary to lock the door every time. What was her fear? Her fear was that somebody was going to come in and, and rob her or beat her or whatever, worse, And so she had that fear. What does it reveal? I can't trust my God even to protect me when I'm at the church working for him. That's what it reveals. So what we fear most reveals where we trust God least. Now, what if we fear not having enough? We don't have enough money to pay the rent. We don't have enough money to buy groceries. Okay. If that's the case, then what we have to come to the realization is, is that we believe that God is not my provider. 
My income is my provider. And as long as our income is our provider, God will let that happen. But if you want him to be your provider, you have to trust and lean on him. Okay, now I'm not saying quit your jobs and don't earn any money, but I am saying that God is your provider. He has given you a job to provide for you and let that happen. But when you don't have a job, he's still your provider. You have a, did you know you have a church? You have a church? And you know what we are as a community? When you t- look at the New Testament church, when it was first formed back in Acts 4th chapter, uh, people leaned on each other. People sold property. They brought it to the church. Church had resources. Oh, man, you're out of a job here. You know, we'll take care of things like that. I believe the church is, is God's storehouse. In fact, when you read in Malachi, it says to tithe. It means bring 10% of your money to the storehouse. And I believe the church is a storehouse. And so when you tithe and you give money to the church, um, it's for the provision for the people. Not to just pay bills. Not to just pay bills, but to provide for people. I'm going to go on a limb. Liz, is it okay to tell about your car? Yeah. Liz got a car a couple weeks ago, and uh, she had it for five days. Five days. Okay? And she woke up to the sound of her car going around the corner, leaving her home all by itself. (laughs) Or with the help of someone else. She called the police, and by the time she got the VIN number, and, you know, it was a new car, and they had to call her insurance company, get all the information by the time, you know, her car's gone, you know, and, you know, I don't know how much investigation will be made to, to recover it, but Liz is out 500 bucks for her car. I believe our church ought to help Liz out with $500 to get another car. Don't you? No, no, you don't want it. Okay. I'm going to give you $500 today and you can get a car with it or give it back to the church, whatever you want to do. Okay. <laughs> okay. You didn't think I was going to do that. Sorry, Liz. I should have probably said that ahead of time. But, man, that's, that's what I believe. Our fears, you know, lack of provision. The church, you know, we, we provide for each other. That's one of the things the church does. Okay? Now, remember I said I have this kind of this fear of failure. Okay, I'm going to talk a lot about myself today. We might have a smaller crowd next Sunday than we did last Sunday even, but, uh, or this Sunday. Uh, but I'm going to talk about myself um, I had this fear of failure, and this fear of failure has to do with letting people down. Okay, letting people down. And so my fear of failure, I have this fear of letting people down. So what I do is I, I overcompensate maybe for that and, and try, to, try to, you know, help people and be pleasing to people and, and help them with what they need and all this kind of stuff. And that all sounds good. But a lot of times when I do that, it's so that I will look good so that I'll look good. And I came to the realization that I was really performing for a, a small audience, or a large audience, you know, a large audience. And God told me one day, he says, you know, Mike, I want you to quit performing for a large audience because if you perform for this person here and do what they want, there's going to be a person that as you go around this circle over here that wants something a little bit different. And then as you get all the way to the back of you, there's going to be somebody that wants something that's diametrically opposed to what this person wants. Now what are you going to do? And I came to the realization that pleasing people was not all that easy. Performing for the audience of one was much easier, and that's what God told me. He says, I want you to perform to be pleasing to me. Okay? And not perform fake, 
but respond to me rather than respond to the wants and the needs and all the stuff that people say that they want. I want you to listen to me. And when I say, help this person, you help them. But it's not for their approval. It's for my approval. And it changed my whole paradigm of the way I did ministry. In fact, it led to me starting this church okay, in a real strange way. Uh, it led to me being here. And what I learned was uh, that I needed to perform for the love of God rather than the love of people. Okay, love of God rather than the love of people. And, you know, there's scripture upon scripture, you know, there's no fear in love. You know, if I have a good love relationship with God, there's no fear in that. I can trust him. I can count on him. I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And I had to learn that. Then I had to learn scriptures that counteracted what I wanted to do, what my heart, which was deceitful and wicked, wanted to do by being pleasing to everybody, be pleasing to too many people. And then I had to realize that God has not given me a spirit of fear okay, or timidity, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. God's given me some stuff to counteract that stuff. So as you go through your discovery process in this next week, I want you to find some scriptures that will help you to counteract the things that God's going to expose to you. Okay, Number three, David asked God to cover his sins. He says that this way, see if there be offensive way in me. Anything that offends you, God. And, you know, we use this word in church, and, you know, gosh, you know, it sounds so judgmental and all that stuff. But when we put it in the context of, Lord, help me to discover the things that are offensive to you, you know, things that, are, that bug you, you know, it, it puts it in a whole different paradigm. Um, I remember one time we were driving around, and, and uh, remember I said, did I tell you? that I like to drive for sport. Yeah, I like to drive for sport. And my kids were in the car one day and we're driving, you know, and I'm having fun and driving and having fun. And, and pretty soon somebody wanted to have more fun than I wanted them to have. And, and they cut me off, you know, and I'm like 35 years old. And, and I, I let out a bad word. I said, you idiot. And my kids are in the back seat. And I got my kids' attention. My daughter pokes her head up and looks around, and she saw what happened. And I thought, man, I'm going to get some, I'm going to get some support from this kid. And she says, Dad, we should invite them to church. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was then, as I am now, hard to find something to say. You know, I, I wanted to say, no, honey, no, they cut me off. Don't you understand? You know? But I realized she was perfectly right. You know, she knew the solution to mankind's problem. You know, Jesus is the answer. And whatever life's problems are, Jesus is the answer. She said, why don't we invite him to church? Oh, man, that was painful for me. It was painful for me. And so when we ask God to uncover our sins, sometimes he's going to use somebody else to do that. Okay? Sometimes he's going to use somebody else to do that. And he used my daughter that day to do that. But when you're, when you're going to analyze, when you're going to pray this part of the prayer, I want you to ask three questions. What are others trying to tell me? Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, hey, I've been thinking about some stuff about you, and, and I think that things, things should change. Ever had that happen? Okay. What do we do? We get defensive, right? Okay. Well, they just must not be filled with the Holy Spirit like I am. 
They must not hear from God. If God wanted to tell me, he would have told me. Chances are he has been telling you. And he had to use somebody with a voice to get through to you. Okay, so I remember uh, back in the day, I was, there was a, a staff member on our church. And, and this person had been accused of not, of not loving the people. Didn't love the people. And I had been told by uh, two elders. I'd been told by several people that worked in his ministry. And I just thought, man, they just don't know him. They just don't know him like I know him. They just need to get to know him. They just, and that's what I would tell them. You just need to get to know him. Go spend some time with him. You know, nah, nah, nah. You know, and that sounds good, doesn't it? But after five people have told you the same thing, there might be something that rings true with that. And I would always come to the defense of this person, defense of this person, defense of this person. And pretty soon, well, pretty soon, years later, uh, that was, it came to a bad end, let me say. Uh, and that person was instrumental in my bad end. And I thought, oh, man. And I, I can't imagine God snickering at anybody, you know, but, but if he was a little bit sarcastic, like I am sarcastic, he would have said, <laughs> I told you so, you know, I told you so. And God doesn't do that, of course, but, you know, if he'd been like me, maybe he would have. And so I ignored what other people were trying to tell me. Don't do that. If somebody tells you one or two people tell you something, eh, maybe, but three or four or five people, there might be an element of truth to what they're saying. Now, it might not be as bad as what they say, but there's going, probably going to be an element of truth to what they say. Do not, do not get defensive and discount what they say. Okay? Analyze it. And David says, uncover my sins, see if there are any offensive weight. And when they do come and tell you that, what I want you to do is not, not get defensive, but I want you to ask God. Okay, spend some time and say, God, is what they're telling me true? I wish I had done that back in the day. Maybe not, but uh, my course in life would have been different. And I think your course of life will be better if you take it to heart, ask God for verification of what they say. If it's true, he will tell you. Okay, he will tell you. And so therefore, then uh, put that to action. Okay, second question I want you to ask yourself, what have I been rationalizing? Okay, what have I been rationalizing? Where have I been saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, uh, and it's always interesting when people, uh, when you have conversations with people and you confront them with something, you know, or present something that's not all that beneficial to them or tasteful to them, and they say, yeah, but, they can't argue with the facts of the matter, but there's a reason or an excuse for it occurring. Yeah, but, and a lot of times we'll say, yeah, but I'm not as bad as, you know, so-and-so. Yeah, but if this circumstance wasn't that way, then things would be fine. Yeah, but if my boss would give me a raise, then I could provide for my family. Yeah, but, and we rationalize a lot of stuff, okay? So rationalize a lot of stuff. So ask yourself, what have you been rationalizing? Number three, and this is kind of a coverall for all of them, where have I been most defensive? Where have I been most defensive? If somebody were come to say something to you, and think of something that you know that may be wrong in your life, and somebody were to come and confront you with that, how would you respond? You know, would you say, well, don't judge me? You know, that's, a, that's a real good go-to for Christian people. Don't judge me. I'm not. I'm loving you. I'm trying to help you be better. I'm not judging you. I can't bring some kind of condemnation on you. I'm just trying to help you. And we just often say things like that when we don't want to talk about it anymore. 
And we know the certain words that we can use to bring an end to whatever conversation it is that's uncomfortable to us. Okay? So where have you been most offensive? Okay. Where have you exhibited? And I'm just going to write some things down here that maybe God's going to talk to you about. How about pride? You know, pride. I'm better than most other people. You know, I don't sin like those other people do. I don't do the things that they do. I have some pride about who I am. Materialistic, you know. Do I depend on the things God provides for me more than I depend on the God who provides them? I think that's an important question for us to ask. Do I depend more on the things he provides for me than for the God who does the providing? Lust, addiction. Okay, addiction. Are there things in my personality that cause me to do things over and over and over and over again? And I'm not talking about just drugs and alcohol here. I'm talking about the addiction to uh, self-gratification. I'm talking about the addiction of, of being pleasing to people. I'm talking about this addiction to, that I have to get approval every time I do something. I have an addiction to that kind of thing. Okay, what about gossip? You know, am I addicted to that? Do I enjoy telling people juicy tidbits? Okay, do I enjoy that? Do I have a critical spirit? You know, do I say, yeah, she's a good lady, but, you know, she doesn't spend so much time in her Bible. You know, stuff like that. Okay. How about just plain, flat disobedience? I just don't do what God wants me to do. I know there are some things that God wants me to do, but I'm just not going to do them. Now, if there's ever anything God wants you to do, you know what he does for you? He gives you the will and the power to do it. So don't say, don't ever say, I know God wants me to do this, but I just can't. Be honest and say, I know God wants me to do this, but I don't want to. That's the truth of the matter. Um, so we've asked God to do three things. We've asked him to search us, okay, reveal the offensiveness in, in, in our ways, uncover my sins, okay, and now we're going to talk about lead me. We want God to lead us. If there's one thing I want in this church is for you to lead a life that's obedient to his direction. Follow him. And it describes this leading in verse 24, the last part of it. And it says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, everlasting, if I say the word to you, everlasting, what's the next word that comes to your mind? Everlasting life. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about everlasting life, even though that's part of it. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a way that is always right and always true and always preferable by God forever. We live in a day and age where, where the things that are right are changing, are changing. I don't know if you've, if you've seen any of the political stuff that's going on and the, and the chaos that's going on, but our nation culturally is changing what is right and what is wrong, okay? What is right and what is wrong. And I don't have to go into very much detail for you to realize that. But we are changing the, the definition of right and wrong culturally. When David here talks about the way everlasting, he's talking about a way that transcends culture, that transcends time, that transcends man, okay? It's bigger and above and beyond all of that stuff. It's the way of God and the way that God says, this is what's right. It will always be right. It will never be wrong. This is what's wrong, and it's always going to be wrong, and it will never be right. Okay, there is a way. There is a way everlasting. It's called the way of God. What God says is right, we ought to stand up for as right. Now, what are some of the things that God says is right? 
love. Love is one of the things that God says is right. It's right all the time. He doesn't say love people who are lovely. Okay? Now that's easy to do, right? It's easy to love people that are lovely. You know, I love Cindy. She is lovely. And uh, she puts up with me. She is a greater Christian in love than I am. I love her because she's lovely. She loves me because, as most of us Christians put it, she has to. You know? Isn't that, have you ever? I, I remember a, a lady, and I was talking with her, and she was telling me about this relationship she had. And, and, uh, and she said, I, I don't like them, but I love them. And I thought, how does that happen? How can you love what you do not like? And I'm going to just say, we have used that for so many years as Christian people, and it's just bunk. I'm going to tell you, it's bunk. If you love someone, you want God's best for them, and you're willing to provide it. Now, like, I don't know. You like things that you like. And that's a, de- that's a, a deception of your heart and reveals your sinfulness. What do you like? I like chocolate cake. I use that as a symbol of my sinfulness from now on. And now I have said that next Tuesday, here's what's going to happen. Tuesday at our small group, somebody's going to bring a chocolate cake. You know, every time. And I say, that's sinful to me. Here, Pastor Mike. Think about it. You know, think about it. They know I love it. They know I love it. And bless their hearts. I love them for doing that. But I just say that. Okay. But there is a way that's right for God. A right a right way, a right way to do things, a right way, to, and one of those is love. Wanting God's best for other people and being willing to provide it when it's at your disposal. Now, a lot of things are at your disposal, right? You come across somebody that needs help, and you probably have the resources to help them. If you don't, then you could, what, what should you do? Walk on by? Remember the, the Good Samaritan he comes by, and all the religious people, they just walk on by, walk on by, walk on by, walk on by, because they couldn't touch somebody that might die. That would be a violation of the law. And so they walk on by. Some Samaritan guy, you know, half-breed, comes along that's looked down upon by the Jews and comes and he helps them. He says, man, I'll take this guy to an inn, puts him in an inn, pays for his stuff, and kind of leaves his credit card on deposit says, hey, if there's any further charge you want to come back by, you know, I'll pay up those things. You know, you have resources this church is one of your resources. If you come across something this next week that God says, I want you to do this, and you do not have the resources, and you honestly don't have the resources, call me. Call me. We might have resources to help out with that. That's what people bring their tithe into the storehouse for, so that there might be meat in our house so that we can feed those who are hungry. Okay? Do I get a, get a from everybody? Okay. Because I want you to be responsive to God. One of the things I want us to do is to learn about God you know, and his way everlasting. I want us to learn about it. But more importantly, I want us to experience it. Knowing stuff and not doing it is like buying a Christmas gift, wrapping it, never giving it. Yeah, have you ever thought of that? You know? Yeah. That's what it, you know, having resources that bless somebody with, it's like, oh, we've got this stuff. Boy, it really would do good for you, but eh, we're not going to give it. You know, no, let's get together and let's experience God. And experiencing God is far more than knowing about him. It's being used by him on a day-by-day basis, relationship-by-relationship basis, contact-by-contact basis. Hey, what do you have? What do I have? And what do you need? It's pretty simple. You know? And that's essentially what we do as a church. 
when there's a need, what do you need? What do we have that can meet that need? It's easy. Okay, so be heads up this next week. And I want you to experience God leading you to be a provider of his way that is everlasting so that other people can know the grace of God. When you have interaction with people, there's one goal. The goal is that they understand or they experience or they get exposed at least to the grace of God. Okay? When you have an interaction this next week, and it might be somebody you don't even know, just say, how can I express to them? How can I exhibit? How can I provide the grace of God? Now, what's the first thing we do when we encounter people? We evaluate them. Do they deserve this? Do they deserve this? Okay. And a lot of times we'll say, no, they don't. Nah, I'm going to withhold it then. I'm going to keep my Christmas gift. It's wrapped. It's ready to go, but I'm going to keep it. Or do we say, you know what? The grace of God is given and there is no merit. There's no deserving. There's no earning. They can't do anything. I'm just going to give it to them. We've done things a lot of times in this church and we've given some stuff away and people say, oh, I don't know if that was the right thing to do. You know, I, and I will always come back to this. Was it the gracious thing to do? We gave it to somebody who didn't deserve it, didn't earn it, couldn't merit it. Okay, so were we exhibiting the grace of God? Yeah. So look for an experience this next week where you can show the grace of God. It might be just listening to somebody. It might not require any financial resources. It might not require anything but a little bit of time. Say, hey, what's going on? You know, there's people all around us, all around. In this room, there are people in this room that need a ear to hear what's going on in their life. An ear to hear. Now, if that happens in this room, you can imagine what it's like in the rest of the city. Okay, the rest of our domain, you know. There are people that need to listen. Okay, so be conscious this next week. That's what the way everlasting is all about. The way that shares the grace of God to those people who didn't earn it and don't deserve it. Okay, when you stop and think about you, what did you earn or deserve about the death of Jesus Christ? Here, I'll use a, a seminary term. The term is bupkis. Okay, you had bupkis when it came to earning the grace of God. You didn't earn it, deserve it. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you before, notice this, before you ever knew him. He did that because he loved you down the line. He knew you were going to be here. And he said, I love you so much. I'm going to send Jesus to die on the cross to save you from your sinfulness. You're not going to have to go to hell anymore. If you accept me and follow me, you could go to heaven. Okay, That's what he did for us. I want us to be the givers of that kind of grace. Okay, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Close your eyes. Don't look around. And I'm going to ask you, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would recognize that you have done things that are offensive to God. And I would ask you to ask him, simple phrase, Lord, forgive me for all of that junk. Then I'm going to ask you to ask him to lead you in the way everlasting. That's what Christianity is all about. Receiving forgiveness for all of our past junk and then committing our lives to follow him for the rest of our lives. 